This morning's scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 26, verses 1 through 6, and it can be found on page 586 in the Black Hardback Bible in the pew in front of you. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks, open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock, for he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Will Turner. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross, and I am so thankful to continue in Advent this week as we, uh, as we are on our second week of Advent. And I just want to say uh, to all the wives that let husbands go to men's retreat this weekend, we had an incredible time together. Just so much, uh, just like so much to be thankful for and to praise Jesus for in our uh, devotion and the word and our just laughter. Gosh, like I haven't cry, laugh like that in a while. And so just thank you so much for that. I, I promise you we are so well rested and, and deeply like just have the most nourishing of foods. Uh, we are coming home healthier, rested men, ready and willing to serve our families well, uh, whatever that looks like in any capacity. So uh, thank you again for letting us go and be together. It was so fruitful. Uh, which brings me to the topic of this morning's sermon, which is peace. Uh, peace, the second word of our Advent series. And, and it is something we've talked about a lot here. We, we know that in all of us, we desire peace. We desire peace, even if we don't even know we desire peace, our bodies crave peace. We've talked a lot about in past uh, sermons and series about anxiety and, uh, and the toll that it takes on the body and how we just worry and we worry and it causes our blood sugar to rise and it causes higher risk for all kinds of diseases from a health standpoint and then what it looks like relationally to even embody like that anxious presence. It's so, uh, it's harmful for us. We all desire peace. We know that it's good for us, but I think sometimes, um, we, we desire certain kinds of peace, like peace is not necessarily just the removal of the bad things, the difficult things. And sometimes when we think of peace, that's what we think of. We, we either, depending on your you know, personality and background, we either think like, I can power through this or over this to gain peace, whatever the situation is, or I'm going to withdraw and pretend like the conflict isn't there to, have peace. That's not what the, the peace that the Bible's talking about. True peace that means we can be at rest despite of whatever's going on around us. So like as we enter into the holiday season, peace doesn't just mean your family doesn't talk about the stuff that they are disagreeing on. Like peace in, in that environment isn't, we're all just going to get along while right under the surface, there's like a tumultuous maelstrom of of combat, just ready to break out at any moment. Like that present in your home is not peace. Even if it's not like exploding, it's not peace. Peace means we can be at rest 
despite all of the negative things going on and in light of all the good. And believe it or not, as a believer, you can embody and be a peaceful presence that unites broken things around you in your home and in your family. In times of suffering, if this is a hard time of year, in times of gladness and celebration, you can embody peace. You can be a person that illuminates peace to those around you. And if you've ever been around a person that embodies peace well, it's, it's infectious. Like I want to be around those people. I wanna be around the people that can just be a steady presence when everything feels chaotic. I, I have a, uh, my football coach in high school, one of my position coaches, he, he was just, he's just one of the most steady men you could ever meet. And you know, we had other coaches that were kind of crazy and he would just be like steady. Like he would always just see him on the sideline, arms crossed, you know, the coach stance, all that good stuff. And I just remember like we could be up by 30 or down by 30 and he, his, his countenance was the same. It was so much the same that like in the moments when we were doing good, I was like, okay, we need to be humble and measured. And in the moments when we were doing bad, I was like, wait, he's not like destroyed. Maybe we could win. Like he gave me this hope with his peaceful presence, uh, even when it was seemingly lost completely. He just was a infectious person to be around and I longed to be that way. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, who passed away this last year, uh, amazing pastor, author, like probably the, the C.S. Lewis of our generation. He battled cancer on and off for years and he, he wrote this on, uh, in a journal on, on one of his, the mornings of one of his surgeries. He said, on the morning of my surgery, after I said my goodbyes to my wife and son, I was wheeled into a room to be prepped for surgery and in the moments before they gave me an anesthetic, I prayed. And to my surprise, I got a sudden clear new perspective on everything. It seemed to me that the universe was an enormous realm of joy, mirth, and high beauty. Of course it was. Didn't the triune God make it to be filled with his own boundless joy, wisdom, love, and delight? And within this great globe of glory, was only one little speck of darkness, our world, where there was temporary pain and suffering. But it was only a speck. And soon, he says, that speck would fade away and everything would be light. And I thought, it doesn't really matter how surgery goes. Everything will be fine. My wife, my children, my church, it will all be all right. And I went to sleep, he says, with a bright peace on my heart. That is the way I long to live. I long to just be at rest in such a way that I could just close my eyes in moments of the highest anxiety and be at peace. That's what God longs for us as well. And he gives us the path to that in his word. And so let's pray this morning and discover the biblical reality of peace. Almighty, gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends on our true understanding of your word, grant that our hearts, freed from worldly affairs, may hear and understand your word with all diligence and faith, so that we may rightly discern your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all earnestness, to your praise and honor, through the Lord Jesus. Amen. So our passage is from Isaiah. We were spent 
uh, here in Isaiah a while back. And so this is a familiar reality to many of you. This is not going to be new in the sense of the historical context of Isaiah. We know that Isaiah was in captivity for a long time. They, uh, their identity was washed away by the Babylonians. They were encouraged to, to take up new names and be new people. And everything about their heritage was being lost. And this prophet Isaiah comes in the middle of it. And God, through this prophet, gives the people so much hope about a future day. I love that word. It says, in that day will be sung in the land of Judah. In that day. What we have to fast forward a little bit. Um, as this passage talks about two distinct cities, two distinct cities. We have this amazing city. And at the end of verse six, we see this city that is laid low and trampled upon. And years later, after, uh, after the, the fall of all of these empires and the, the raising of many more, and even after Jesus ascended to heaven, the Roman empire met its end as well. In the, in the fifth century, lesser nations, in fact, came in and piece by piece dismantled the Roman Empire. First it was divided into two empires and then over time, nothing. And in that context of the fall of the Roman Empire, we, we follow a man named Augustine or Augustine, whatever your opinion is, it doesn't matter to most scholars. They say it both ways. We'll say Augustine for this morning. Maybe next time we'll change it. Um, but he wrote about the city of man and the city of God these two distinct realities on what it looked like to live in these two realities, existing in one time. And for those dwelling inside the Roman Empire, the fall of Rome to some would have been a time of high worry, anxiety as, as, these, uh, as the Germanic tribes were invading and just it, was just, it was breaking apart. And so worry was a prevalent feeling in the Roman Empire at that time. But what was fascinating, many historians agree that that the, the, one of the reasons the Roman Empire fell apart was because after Nero and after the massive persecution of Christians, we started to see Christianity spread across the entire map of the Roman Empire. To, so much so that it became the recognized religion of the day with Constantine. And many historians are saying that the, the rise in Christianity, the spread of Christianity and its values and what the Bible teaches and the words of Jesus broke down the empirical uh, dictatorship that was Rome into a kingdom that was easily taken over by lesser Germanic tribes. What happened is one kingdom died, another advanced. And that is the idea that Isaiah 26 should invoke. Because like we said earlier, the idea of peace isn't just the removal of bad things, but it's the taking away and replacement of something good. The replacement. When we have surgery on cancer, we don't just cut it out, but we cut it out and we treat it and there has to be healing and wholeness brought to that. The word shalom means peace in the Bible. So we see shalom, but shalom also means completion and wholeness. So in order to have shalom, we don't just remove the negative things, right? Because we remove the negative things and there's a gap, but there's a refilling of something that brings wholeness. And in the way that the Bible talks about peace, it's not just this like restful lack of anxiety. It says shalom, shalom in this passage or perfect peace, perfect peace. It evokes the idea of the removal of anxiety, fear, 
pain and replaces it with serenity, healing, paradise, and completion. In that day, there will be perfect peace, he says. God wants to see his people whole, protected, and secure behind the walls and bulwarks. And he tells us what this fortification is as the prophecy states in Isaiah. Listen to what he says in verse 2. He says, open the gates that the righteous righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. Open the gates. I want us to like picture a barn raising imagery here. If you know what a walls and bulwarks are, it's a wall and then you have the bulwark supporting it, right? So we have this picture of this city where, where God is bringing people into a safe place. And that day there will be a city that the gates are wide open and we're going to be bringing people in the righteous nation that keeps the faith may enter in. He says that salvation is our walls. If you go back to the Job narrative, how we are invincible. Paul talks about this all the time, like to live is Christ, to die is gain. We talked about this a lot at men's retreat this weekend, like this reality embracing this eternal hope, this eternal weight of glory, that is the key to godly resilience. And in this moment, it's the key to peace as well, knowing that our salvation rests in God's hands and in God's hands, we are eternally secure eternally secure. In other words, there's nothing this world can do to harm your soul. It can't. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then God has set up his eternal salvation for you as a city. And that's a city that will never crumble or be taken down. And Paul in Philippians four talks about how he guards us when he says in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, knowing who is guarding the walls of your salvation, that's what transcends all understanding and he will guard your heart and he will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. So he builds this this wall with bulwarks and he opens the gates and the righteous get to enter in and the righteousness, uh, our salvation is the wall and we're protected by God. And then he goes on in in verse three, "You you keep him in perfect peace, shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord is an everlasting rock. The prophet tells us that God is the one who keeps us in shalom, shalom. He keeps us in perfect peace. He brings us into the city that he has set up, the city that is our salvation. He welcomes the righteous in, his children. And he says, I will protect you. Those that have faith will be entered in. There's nothing that anyone can do to destroy the city. And I will keep you here in perfect peace. Most of our earthly peace that we experience is very temporary. Uh, we talked like this this weekend. If, if you uh, I had a youth pastor tell us that if you don't have a storm coming right now, you will. You will. The peace that we experience, it's just, it's so momentary. And I, as a kid, I remember thinking like, everything is so good right now. Like, I don't want time to advance because I know it won't be this way forever. But God's promise says that one day in that day it will be sung in the land of Judah, that there will be perfect peace eternally. Perfect peace eternally. God promises perfect peace that isn't momentary. One of the most powerful and touching real life Christmas stories, uh, in my opinion, is the story of the events that took place 
in December of 1914 during World War I. It was Christmas Eve, the, the German and British troops were on the battlefield down in the trenches, and in the dark of the night, the British soldiers heard something coming across the battlefield. It was the song Silent Night. The British soldiers thought it was strange, but they joined in singing this carol in the middle of a war zone across enemy lines. And when the, the morning light came the next day, the German soldiers who had heard the British singing came out of the trenches and started walking toward the allied lines through no man's yet land yelling Merry Christmas. They called out in greeting uh, in the native tongue of their enemies. The British soldiers were fearful and maybe some sort of trick, but when they saw that the Germans didn't have any weapons, they had laid down their weapons, they too climbed out of the trenches and walked toward their enemy. And as they met in the middle of this battlefield, they began shaking their, each other's hands and introducing one another. And they spent Christmas day together in peace. They even say that they played soccer together, which is not my choice of game to be played on Christmas day, but it's neither here nor there. They played soccer together on this battlefield. They say they even exchanged gifts with one another, which is like, what gifts? It was cigarettes and plum pudding. <laughs> this is war. <laughs> they sang more carols together until the night fell. But as the night fell, they returned to their trenches and the next day the war continued. The peace that we crave and desire, even the peace that our Advent season reminds us of right now, it just feels fragile and temporary, all of these moments that we crave. Like I hear that story and I just wanna cry because I know that it doesn't last. I know that it doesn't last. The day after Christmas, there was war, but God's promise of peace, this shalom, shalom, a peace that we, it says we can't even understand. It's beyond what we can fathom because we've never experienced a peace that stays, right? It stays but it's not shaky or foundationless and it's tied up in God's own identity, which Isaiah says is a solid rock, solid rock. In other words, if God himself is eternal and powerful and everlasting, then the shalom, shalom that is promised on that day is eternal, it is powerful and it is everlasting. It is everlasting. How could this be? How could this come true? How could this story be this happy? How could it have this ending? How could we one day know in the land of Judah, this will be the song that is sung? It is because Isaiah also prophesied in chapter nine about a prince of peace that would come and remove the curse of sin from this world and replace the curse of sin with shalom, shalom. This was imperative for all New Testament writers as they studied this idea, this, this idea of the embodiment or the incarnation of God bringing peace to this earth, an everlasting peace that existed in the midst of so much chaos and darkness. Light was coming in. Light was coming in. John 14, 27, Jesus says this, the Prince of Peace. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace. I give you, I do not give you to you as the world gives. 
right? How does the world give? It gives and takes. I do not give to you peace as the world gives. Do, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 3, he says, now may the Lord of what? Peace. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. And in Luke's account of the birth of Jesus, the angels proclaimed this message to the shepherds in Luke 2, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. His favor rests. The church in Ephesus heard this from Paul when he described Jesus's ministry in, two, in chapter two. Jesus came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three exist eternally as peace. And in the incarnation of Jesus Christ brought that peace to earth and established his kingdom of peace that would spread until one day we sing this song in our strong city of salvation. It's a city where worry, fear, and anxiety cannot breach those walls. They cannot. That is the day that is promised to us as believers and in Jesus' name and through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is a day we long for and it's a day that you and I can actually grasp hold of with hope and walk in shalom, shalom now, right now. I long for the day where all of my worry, sin and anxiety, all of that is like gone. But the Bible teaches that we can embody this peace today. We have it already and not yet fully, right? If you look at Isaiah's vision, he ties our sanctuary in the city of peace with what? Our trust in the Lord. Our trust in the Lord. Our trust in the Lord is tied directly to the peace that we experience from latching our lives onto God, who is an everlasting rock. If you want to know how to embody wholeness and shalom on this side of eternity, you must trust God. You must trust God. You must lay everything at his feet and say, God, I don't know how this is going to go. It's okay. What did Tim Keller say? He's like, the God who made all of this, whose plan is so perfect and good, like it doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what happens. Not that he didn't care about his life. He didn't care about his church. He didn't care about his family. He was good because he knows God cared about all of those things. And if God, the everlasting rock, the one who sets up an impenetrable city cares about those things, then it's okay. It's okay. He's got this. And this is the beauty of recognizing the Advent season because there is so much chaos and pain in the world right now, but it takes a backseat in Advent as we slow down and recognize that the peace of God has come once and is promised to come again. And I know it sounds so simple, but that is the nature of the gospel. How can you trust God more? Here, listen, like this is gonna blow you away, I think. It blew me away. As I was reading, I was like, this is... This is the way. How do we trust God more? How do we give more of our trust to God? How do we trust God more that we can embody this peace? Think about him more. 
you want to trust God more, if you want to embody peace, if you want to illuminate peace to those around you as a believer with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, think about God more. Is it that simple? It is. Practice every day, waking up and in gratitude and thankfulness, think about what God is doing right now in this world. Think about what he's done through the centuries, how, how we even came here to be here today, how we have the freedom to sit in a place where we can sing songs talking about the blood of the lamb that has washed us clean, the one that is long and expected one day, the one that is coming in return. We have the freedom to worship and praise and be together and eat coffee and donuts and, and celebrate all of these things because God has been doing something and is continuing to do something in this world that is good. And one day he will make all things new. I know it sounds just too simple, but if you're a believer, think about God more. Meditate, the Bible says on scripture, meditate on his words, think more, talk about these things with your friends. You wanna, like, you wanna have a lot more hope and peace in your life? Spend your days dreaming about the new, the new world. When God makes it all new and every tear is wa washed away, Every time, what if every time you were faced with despair on this side of eternity, anxiety, fear, what if instead you grabbed someone you know and then told, him, told them what, who God is and what he's doing? What if in those moments of fear, you went and gave hope to someone? In those moments of despair, what if you found someone and said, let me tell you about the one who will make all this better one day? I know this hurts right now and God weeps with us right now and his heart is broken over all the broken things, but he promises to trample the evil in this world to the ground, cast it to dust and he will set up salvation as walls with bulwarks and the righteous nation that keeps the faith may enter in. Meditate on those things more. What if you told them about the Prince of Peace? <laughs> and if no one's around and you're alone in your despair, as often when it comes to me, when I'm alone in the quiet of the night, what if you can just sit and meditate and lay on your face and think about all of the good that God has given you? The breath in your lungs, the body of believers that is surrounding you even in this room, like, do not take this moment for granted. It is sweet. Treasure it with all of your heart. Think about what God has given you and what he's doing in this world. And remember that this life is actually very short. It's a speck, like Tim Keller says. There's a speck of shadow and then light eternal. Speck of shadow and then light eternal. Tim Keller said this as he was dying on his deathbed. He said, Christian peace comes not from thinking less, but from thinking more and more intensely about the big issues of life, which is different than the way you and I think. Like if, if we think about the big issues of life, it can cause anxiety. But, Paul, or, but Tim Keller says, Paul, Tim Keller, He says, think about these things more intensely about the big issues of life. Paul gives specific examples in Romans 8 where he uses the same word 
and, uh, the same Greek word and speaks directly to sufferers. He says, I reckon that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that shall be revealed to us. To reckon, he says, is to count up accurately, not to whistle in the dark. It's not to get peace by jogging or shopping, but it means think it out. Think about the glory coming until the glory and the joy begins to break in on you. Someone reading this might say, you're talking about doctrine, but what I really need is comfort right now. I don't need doctrine, but think, is Jesus, he says, really the son of God? Did he really come to earth, die for you, rise again and pass through the heavens to the right hand of God? Did he endure infinite suffering for you so that someday he could take you to himself and wipe away every tear from your eyes? If so, there is all the comfort in the world you would need. If not, he says, if none, of these, if none of these things are true, then we may be stuck here living for 70 or 80 years until we perish. And the only happiness we will ever know is in this life. And if some trouble or suffering takes that happiness away, you have lost everything forever. So either Jesus is on his throne, ruling all things for you, or this is as good as it gets. See what Paul is doing. He says he, he is saying that if you are a Christian today and you have little or no peace, it may be because you are not thinking. Peace comes from a disciplined thinking out the implications of what you believe. It comes from an intentional occupation, Tim Keller says, of a vantage point. There is nothing more thrilling, he says, than climbing to some high point on a mountain and turning around and viewing it and seeing all the terrain you've just traversed. Suddenly you see the relationships. You see the creek that you crossed, the foothills, the town from which you have journeyed. Your high vantage point gives you perspective. It gives you clarity and a sense of beauty. That is what Paul is calling us to do when he says, reckon. Think big and high. Realize who God is, what he has done, who you are in Christ, where history is going and that is guaranteed. Put your troubles in perspective by remembering Christ's troubles on your behalf and all of his promises to you and what he is accomplishing. For those that don't believe in Jesus, hear his words and be sober-minded this morning that if, if this is it, then this is it. Doesn't get better. We, we go and we go to the ground. But if Jesus is on his throne, he promises you a supernatural level of peace that you cannot fathom or even imagine. And it exists in the hope that one day he will make all of this new. And the way that you get into the city isn't by like cleaning yourself up or like I gotta get ready for, you know, for God or whatever. Like he just asks that you come, you admit that you are broken and you are weak and you are sinful and you confess that he is Lord. He loves you beyond what you could even understand and he died for you. He died for you. So, Christian, think more this morning. Think about your salvation 
Think about the sin that Christ washed away and replaced with wholeness, gave you shalom. This Advent season, the invitation is to embody that and illuminate that shalom in your family. Be the non-anxious presence that you can only be because of Christ's work in your life and the hope that you have. See this season as an opportunity to rest and bring rest to those around you. What if, right? What if we could do that? Let Christ rule in your heart and mind, and that will make you a light to all of those in, that you encounter because you have the Prince of Peace in your corner and he promises to bring it to the world. Let's pray. Father, when we are weak and struggling, would you remind us of who you are? Lift our eyes upwards, grab our chins, direct them to heaven. <laughs> and let us not forget what your plan is, what the ultimate end of history is. Remind us that this 80 years, God willing, of of life that we have here is a moment and then eternity with you. And while we're here, we get to partake and you bring in glory and fame to your name and that you say is good for us. So in this Advent season, as we enter into times with families, Lord, would you be this peaceful presence in our hearts that we can give to people around us that we can love those who aren't that lovable around us because you love us when we are not that lovable. That we are kind to our families because you were kind to us. That we can be merciful to children because you've given us so much mercy. That we can have grace for our friends and grace for our relationships because you have grace for us. That we can love like you love. So Jesus, do that work. Spirit, as we worship, draw our hearts near to the eternal hope of glory. Let us be filled with rest and let us anxiously, anxiously crave for the day when you make all things new and wait and advent patiently for that peace. It's your name we pray, amen. If you're